When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. He'll hit Corey Watson with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown, Eskimo! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630, Chad. And oh, yes, indeed, we have both teams on this station tomorrow. In fact, 9.30 in the morning for the face-off show. Oilers and Flyers will then drop the puck at 11. 6 o'clock tomorrow night, a two-hour countdown to kickoff program. And then the Eskimos and the Lions get going at 8. Another big day here on 630 Chet. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in. My name is Reed Wilkins. You can reach me, 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630. We're going to tee up both games for you. Uh, injury news for both the Oilers and the Eskimos. So we'll flesh that out. We'll also talk to uh, Matt Henry who overcame, in my mind, one of the most uh, horrific injuries you will ever see, not just to get back to playing football, but to uh, to having a pretty good life. It was 10 years ago in the Vanier Cup. Got the idea after seeing what happened to Gordon Hayward of, uh, of the Celtics earlier this week in that opening game in the NBA. We will start with the hockey story and a quick look at the scoreboard before we get to Jack Michaels in Philadelphia. The Sabres... Despite being outshot 17-5, are leading the Canucks 2-1 early in the second period. Also early in the second period, Sharks up 1-0 on the Devils. And in the first period, no score, Capitals and Red Wings. Panthers are up 2-0 on the Penguins. Coming up later tonight, the Wild and the Jets. And the Canadians, who are just 1-5-1 on the season, will visit the Anaheim Ducks. Of course, baseball playoffs tonight. Yankees with a chance to move on to the World Series but they are in Houston taking on a very good Astros team. Three games to two as the Yankees lead. The Dodgers waiting for the winner. And uh, CFL action tonight. We got a West showdown, Saskatchewan at Calgary. Deron Carter for the Rough Riders expected to play both offense and uh, defense in that game. That one will kick off at 7 o'clock. The Oilers snapping that four-game losing streak last night. Off the draw, here's Yamamoto looking for Connor McDavid. Turns, waits, backdoor, what a feed! And Patrick Maroon taps it over the equalizer. What a play by McDavid. He faked backhand shelf and brought it back to his forehand, curled it in front of the goaltender where a wide-open Patrick Maroon was waiting. That was some play. Yeah, no kidding. 
that, <laughs> that uh, got the Oilers on the board. They would eventually win in overtime. McDavid had that great rush against Calgary. Had the uh, the spinning assist, uh, the spinning behind the back assist last night against uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. So he's, he's he's already got a couple plays that will likely be in the top ten by the time we get to the end of the NHL season. The man who called that goal and is the play-by-play voice for the Oilers here on 630 Chet and the Oilers Radio Network in Philadelphia. It's Jack Michaels. Jack, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Reed, always good and always good to talk to you. Beautiful day here in Philadelphia and uh, looking forward to seeing how the Oilers can negotiate the Keystone State. Yeah, a couple big games after a pretty solid outing last night in Chicago. I I think before we dive into some things from last night's game and what's ahead, I got to ask you for the update. You know, a few guys, but I think the the headliner uh, that hasn't been playing and has been on the injured list is obviously Leon Dreisaitl. What's the latest on Dreisaitl? Dreisaitl practiced with the team today, as did, for that matter, Drake Kajula and Matt Benning. It was a pretty, you know, quick skate. I mean, they got up and after it. They were in and out of the building in in 20 minutes, essentially. But Leon Dreisaitl will not play against Philadelphia. Neither will Drake Kajula. Todd McCollin mentioned uh, not only Matt Benning is now pronounced healthy and available to play against the Flyers, but he also kind of... Uh, inserted uh, Jujar Kara into the equation uh, for the Flyer game. So my hunch is, generally speaking, when Todd, you know, mentions two names that are not necessarily uh, thrown out there uh, by someone else, uh, it's an indicator that he's thinking very seriously of having them in the lineup. I, I do think there's a chance Dreisaitl and Kajula uh, could play on Tuesday. In talking with Leon, though, I I wouldn't say it's a guarantee. He's feeling better. But when you've got you know concussion type symptoms, you're, you're talking about symptoms that that do tend to reoccur. So uh, I think he's being real honest with himself right now and the training staff. And and I think um, you know Tuesday in Pittsburgh is a possibility. But maybe going into the trip, you thought it was it was more of a certainty that he'd be ready to go uh, by the Penguin game. I, you know I'm not I'm not ready to say that at this point. Okay. All right. Well, appreciate that update. The Oilers. Snapped that losing streak last night, Jack. I mean, we played your call of the maroon goal on overtime open line a couple of times and, and, and during the intermission. <laughs> I mean, you, you've you called hundreds of games. I've heard you call, you know, Oilers games for several seasons. I, I don't want to say you necessarily sounded surprised, but the, but, but there, was that, there was a little bit of element of awe in your voice, I think, with the way that play unfolded, McDavid to maroon. <laughs> Well, I'm going to take that as a huge compliment because, to be honest with you, I was surprised I was able to get any words out. I mean, that's how good that move was. And that's, you know, when he makes a move like that and you're doing the game at live speed, you just, you know, part of you wants to just drop the mic and say, well, you know, what just happened? Can I can I get a replay before he actually makes that move so I know what's coming? I mean, that's, that's really what it's all about with Connor McDavid. And he does that to you three or four times a year. And you're right. I mean, if there was a, a sense of or just, I mean, I was astounded. I was astounded by that move. I, I can't think of a, a better word to describe it than that. And you just, 
you know, all you can do is, is try to, you know, do justice to Patrick Maroon. But the bottom line is, is uh, everyone's going to forget that it was Maroon who actually scored the goal. All they'll remember is the whirl away pass from Connor McDavid. Just a scintillating move. And really, when you look at the first 50 minutes of that hockey game, uh, one of the rare executed plays. I think both teams are really fighting the puck. The ice didn't look in the greatest shape last night. And for a while there, it was a little ragged at the United Center. And then uh, number 97 kind of took over the final 10 and 10 minutes in overtime. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think it was an outing the Oilers needed just to to be tight checking like that to get the saves, to get the special teams, and then be rewarded in the end with a, a guy who's become the, he's you know, their power play shooter, the fourth line center and the power play specialist, Mark Letestu, drilling that one over the shoulder of Forsberg. So a little bit of a more positive energy for, for sure for the team going forward. Uh, Jack Michaels, Oilers play-by-play vo- uh, voice joining us on 630 Chet. You're from... Uh, Pennsylvania, Jack. Let me ask you this. I don't know if I've ever put it to you this way. Can you compare the sports cultures or maybe the sports fan, compare and contrast, Philadelphia versus Pittsburgh? Oh, there's a huge difference. I mean, I I think both I, I think the only similarity really is is both cities would probably describe themselves as as hard scrabble uh, blue collar type people uh very similar to maybe you know like the city of Edmonton like not necessarily uh, a city known for a great deal of privilege but then outside of that you know in my estimation I've always I've always found Philadelphia a little rough around the edges and this is my western Pennsylvania bias coming through I mean I'm not going to go all the way back to the the whole booing Santa Claus in the in the late '60s at an NFL game, but I mean they did. I mean <laughs> they did. It's a fact that it happened. But I mean Philly has a Philly has a tendency to turn on its teams real quickly, and the difference is in Pittsburgh. I mean people forget the Steelers were just awful for 40 years and people still loved them they still love the Roonies they you know they they never complained they always supported that team uh you know it's it's that's that's probably you know the biggest difference i think philadelphia is a little bit more well-rounded in terms of embracing all sports. Uh, the Penguins and Pirates run a bit hot and cold, depending on how they're doing, uh, which is true in a lot of U.S. markets. But uh, you know, not necessarily you know more so in baseball than maybe you'd think. With a tradition as as rich as the Pirates, I mean, you're talking about a team that that played in the first World Series back in 1903. But baseball tends to gum it, come and go with how the Pirates are doing. I mean, the crowds fall off the map. And, you know, many people forget Merrill Lemieux saved uh, the Penguins, you know, not once but twice. First as a player when he reinvigorated interest in the team in the mid-1980s, and then second as an owner when before the Penguins uh, drafted Sidney Crosby, they were in trouble again, you know, in the early 2000s. They were not doing well. They were not getting supported. And there was a very real threat that that franchise may relocate. Yeah, that's a good point. Lemieux saved them twice, once uh, once as a player, once as an owner for sure. Jack, before I let you go, we got to wrap up this theme you and I have had, and I'm sorry to do this to you. Cleveland Indians couldn't quite do it. Oh. They look good. And then the darn, oh. yeah, the darn Yankees again, eh? Yeah, and it looks like the Yankees and Dodgers might be playing in the World Series for the first time since 1981, the Yanks being one win away. And, 
you know, the Indians find a way to stick it to you. I mean, there's no doubt about it. When you're a diehard tribe fan, you better be prepared for disappointment. But it is a little bit, you know, an extra turn of the knife when it's at the expense of the Yankees or the Red Sox. And this year it was the Yankees. So, yeah, you know what, though? I mean, you got to give me credit. I had an opportunity to go to Game 4 of the National League Championship Series where the Cubs were hosting, of course, the team that knocked the Indians out in Game 7 of the World Series last year, and I went. So no hard feelings against the Cubs. I went. I took in the game. I even enjoyed it, even though the Cubs won. So uh, I like to feel like I can put some things in the rearview mirror. <laughs> you're a class act, Jack, and you're always classy to come on the show, buddy. <laughs> That's the first time I've ever heard that, Reed. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, especially for me. Every once in a while, I'll hand yeah. out a compliment. Hey, thanks for doing this, buddy. Uh, early one tomorrow, uh, 11 a.m. Edmonton time. You're going to be on air calling the game. We have the face-off show at 930. Always fun in Philly, buddy. Have a good one. Bright and early, have your second cup of coffee with us right here on 630, Chad. There we go. That is Jack Michaels. It's Oilers Furnace Family Hockey on 630, Chad. Edmonton's furnace replacement expert. Call 7804-FAMILY or visit FurnaceFamily.com. During that interview, Brad texting in the show is that we were talking about fans in Philadelphia versus fans in Pittsburgh. Jack, of course, grew up in Pennsylvania. Brad says Philadelphia fans boo when a plane lands safely. Oh, my. That's <laughs> Brad. Brad bringing the dark humor on a Friday night. It'll chat about the nooch when we get back. Inside Sports on Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Larson is redirected on net now. Cleared ahead for Taze. A breakaway and that's towed aside by Cam Talbot. So he comes right back with a gigantic stop there. If it's 2 nothing yeah. on the first two shots, Bob, Panic gives it to him. Taves shoots, and that was blocked. What a read by Clefbaum. In front, what a save, Talbot on Taves after a feed from Saad. Another huge stop, Cam Talbot. Slap or not, a penalty should have, in fact, been called. Here's Panic ahead to Brandon Saad, right wing. Over the line for the Hawks. Hits the trailer. Shot Taves, squeezed through Talbot, but not over the line. Some of Camp Talbot's work last night. Chris and Victoria texting in. He says, I think Talbot has found it. He could have let it get worse after the early going last night. More than the win that was so important to this team. Chris adding, I predict a win tomorrow and quite handily. Talbot, 30 saves. He was excellent. Rob Brown and I were watching last night. We sit together in the 6.30 Chet studio and watch the road games on TV. And about, uh, well, probably with about five minutes left in the second period, Rob said to me, Reed, this is classic Cam Talbot. Positioning, swallowing pucks, quiet movement, getting those pads out to make saves, keeping the Oilers right there, and a good, patient game by the Oilers after some impatient moments, a lot of impatient moments in their three previous games. Maybe not, uh, I wouldn't put the Vancouver in the game in the impatient category. I just think they didn't play with enough energy. But after some impatient games, they uh, they stuck with it. And, you know, it's it's one of the one of the things Todd McClellan has said over the years. You got 60, sometimes 65 minutes to win the game. It's, it's okay to, to use all the time if you need it. And uh, yesterday they used 64 minutes and 44 seconds before Letestu banged home the winner. So nothing wrong with that. Yakushev writing in. He says, I'm not saying it isn't going to happen, but I disagree with sending Yamamoto down. Maybe his first few games in the NHL weren't the best, but what do you expect that soon? 
He's not getting bigger and he's not getting any better in juniors. He's better than three quarters of the Oilers' forwards now and gives the team more options with him in the lineup. Analysts are starting to say the Oilers aren't a fast team, and they're right. Yamamoto is fast, and I think he also helps to solve another problem, the hockey IQ level of the team. The Oilers will also be better sooner next season after he has a full year in the NHL. Who would you replace him with? Can you honestly say another player would benefit the Oilers more? He has earned and deserves a place on the team. Bottom line, the Oilers are a better team with Yamamoto in the lineup. That is from Yakushev. Well, a passionate text, and I mean, if there was... If you just put the Oilers... If you hadn't seen the Oilers play for a few years and watch the game last night, you'd identify Yamamoto as one of the better players if you just knew nothing about where any of them came from. There is the contract reality... Uh, I mean, if he, if he plays more than nine games, you use up one year of his entry level, he becomes a free agent sooner, all that kind of stuff. But it, it's a good, difficult situation for the Oilers to have. Uh, I, I got a text about the, the Nuge, and uh, I got some audio from McClellan and Nugent Hopkins today. So I'll get to that after the 6.30 news so they can develop the idea a little more thoroughly. Not the idea, the topic. But the topic is this. Ryan Nugent Hopkins... Face-off expert. Okay, maybe not expert, but really good in the face-off so far this year. He had one really bad game. He's been uh, pretty good or excellent in the every other game. If he can keep that going and, and finally become good in the circle, huge benefit to the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, he came up huge in overtime, even though he didn't get a point on Letestu's game-winning goal. Also, Morley Scott from Vancouver. No C.J. Gable for the Eskimos tomorrow night. How will they deal with that? The answer ahead on Inside Sports. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. Left circle, Nugent Hopkins battling in front. McDavid to cleft bomb. One-timer, Latestu scores! Mark Latestu wins the game for Edmonton 2-1 Last night's game winner, Jack Michaels with the call here on 6.30 Chet and the Oilers Radio Network. Jack back to work. 11 tomorrow morning for the start of the game. Oilers at Philly. So we'll sign on with the face-off show at 9.30. You may remember last year's game in Philadelphia in December. Uh, it did not go well for the Oilers. A high-scoring game that they came out on the wrong end of. Inside Sports on 6.30 Chet. My name is Reed Wilkins. It is 6.34. Hope you have a great weekend planned. Hope your Friday is off to a good start. Your Friday evening off to a good start. Thanks for spending some of it with me. Hey, if you're looking for maybe a place to grab dinner tonight, check out Northern Chicken. Enjoy a cold craft beer or a great glass of bourbon with modern soul food and other tasty treats at Northern Chicken, 10704, 124th Street. And I'm proud to tell you that some guests on Inside Sports receive gift certificates to Northern Chicken. Great locally owned restaurant in a cool part of town. So you can text 63630, the phone number 780-496-0063. James texting in. He says, first of all, sick pass by McDavid. Second of all, I thought that a key to the Oilers' win was two face-off wins by Ryan Nugent Hopkins on the power play in overtime. Totally agree. Both times he beat Jonathan Taves quite cleanly. 
And I was looking into some stuff because, uh, obviously, I, I knew going into last night's game, Nugent Hopkins was having a good year in the face-off circle. So I wanted to check his updated face-off percentage for this season. Now, of course, uh, here, here's, here, here's become uh, one of the hockey cliches, especially now with the advent of analytics. Do you know what it is, Patrick Bauer? Late on me. Small sample size. That's, that's become as much a part of talking about hockey as, as uh, you know, play a full 60 minutes or back checking or 200. Small sample size, you know. <laughs> so if a guy does something well, you always have to say, well, I don't expect that he could keep doing it. Small sample size. But, okay, fair enough. But you got to give Nugent Hopkins credit because this part of his game has been pooed on for quite a while. He is uh, 56.2% in the face-off circle so far this season. After never having any other season in his career in the NHL, six previous seasons, above 46%. Well, he's improved considerably. And uh, last year he was only 438 So if he can wow. keep even a little bit... I mean, that's, that's the crazy thing about hockey. A guy's... The guy's 48% in the face-off circle. It's like, ah, he's not very good. He's 52. It's like, oh, he's great. But if he can stay, you know, on the happy side of 50. Remember that Simpsons episode where there was mini-golfing? Yeah. And they had the British commentators. <laughs> Bob Simpson on the happy side of par. Anyway, so, but Nugent Hopkins' last three games, 75%, 65%, 83.3%. Now, he did have a stinker against Winnipeg. He was only 25%, but but body of work, pretty good so far. And Nugent Hopkins, you know, glad that he's helping in the dot. The past few games, I've been uh, feeling pretty good, just bearing down a little bit more, I guess. And um, I had one bad game, I think, uh, against Winnipeg, maybe. Um, and since then, kind of uh, tried to rebound a little bit and uh, um, get over 50. So that's uh, definitely a big goal of mine, um, something that need to improve on for years. So I'm uh, just going to keep working on it. Well, he's known he's had to work on it, and, and, and look, he's been criticized for it, and rightfully so when you have percentages you know, basically below 45 every year except one, and you're kind of waiting for it to kick in. When is he going to be stronger, craftier in the circle? And Todd McClellan has definitely noticed it. Well, in the face-off, Todd, he's been uh, much better this year than he was last year. Um, you know, I don't know if the new rules are helping him or if he's, uh, he's effectively uh, applied some change to his uh, face-off technique. Uh, but he's been better. He won big face-offs last night in uh, in the po- on the power play, allow us keep the puck in the zone. So, uh, but over and above that, he's played very hard minutes. He's played competitive, uh, scrappy, nose over the puck minutes, as, as I would call them, and uh, been effective that way. Um, you know, found a way to score a couple. Uh, feel good about putting him on the ice right now. Well. Why wouldn't you? I mean, he's going to have three points so far, a couple of goals. He's going to have to continue contributing offensively. And, hey, let's be honest here. If the Oilers lose that game last night 2-1, even if it was in overtime, then maybe tonight we're talking about the need for somebody else, uh, you know, not named McDavid, uh, to, to set up a play or put the puck in the net. But but I think you admire the way the Oilers checked and killed penalties and goaltended last night. But McClellan started talking about the face-offs and then started another thought that he's going to finish here that Nugent Hopkins finding ways to impact the game even if he's not on the score sheet. The effect that Nugent can have on the game isn't always evaluated with uh, goals, assists and points. Um, You know, you don't happen to get 
anything in the stats for breaking up a rush or back checking and, and running interference on a, on a pass through the slot. Uh, blocking, you know, I guess you do get a block shot, but picking a pass off on the penalty kill. Uh, there are no stats other than analytics for those types of things. Um, but uh, when you watch the game and you review it and his teammates see him do it, it's noticed and appreciated. All right. So, you know, it's been an interesting journey for Nuge. First overall draft pick. Team is really bad. He's basically the first-line center running the first power play as a rookie and sort of had that first-line center position. They draft McDavid. Dreisaitl comes onto the picture as well, though he's usually been... Well, actually, Dreisaitl takes more face-offs than McDavid when they're on the ice together, but they're usually on the ice together. So now a role for Nugent Hopkins where, yes, he's checked better if he adds the face-off prowess, hopefully, to that part of his game. And can he can hit the score sheet? I mean, look... 10 to 15 more points for Nugent Hopkins last season. We, we talk about his, his last season a lot more differently than we did over the summer. So hopefully he keeps pushing and, and contributing in all those different ways. And, and they're going to need him to be, play a valuable role again tomorrow. Dreisaitl not expected to play. Kajula not expected to play. Maybe uh, Benning uh, is healthy now, should come back into the lineup. After, well, first he was scratched, then he was sick. And maybe Jujar Kara gets back into the lineup after being scratched for a couple games because they need him uh, to get going as well. 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. Just want to update the scoreboard here. Canucks now lead. My God, the shots in this game in the second period, four minutes left in the second period, are 36-10. For the Canucks, they were behind most of the game. Now they're up 3-2. After two, the Sharks lead the Devils 3-zip. In the second period, scoreless Capitals and Red Wings. Panthers lead the Penguins 2-1. Late in the first, the Jets are up 2-0 on the Wild. The Canadians play the Ducks a little bit later on. Baseball tonight, no score in the bottom of the second between the Yankees and Houston. The Astros trying to stay alive. Kickoff at 7 between the Rough Riders and the Stampeders. And faceoff at 7 between the Oil Kings and Prince. George at Rogers Place. All right, more on the Oilers and a little more hockey talk later on in the show. We're going to bring in Morley Scott from Vancouver when we get back inside sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio, 630 Chet. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Last night's overtime hero for your Edmonton Oilers, his second overtime goal as a member of the Oilers the third in his career as the Oilers beat Chicago 2-1 back at it in Philadelphia tomorrow morning 11 o'clock face-off here on 630 Chet thanks a lot for tuning in tonight my name is Reed Wilkins Patrick Bauer is your studio producer on the uh, other side of the window tonight we're going to bring in Morley Scott with an update on the Eskimos in Vancouver in a minute or so here just uh, quickly here, uh, Patrick, I don't know if you noticed this. Well, in the face-off thought, he's been uh, much better this year than he was. I don't last. know if that comes through on people's radios very well. but Well, in the face-off thought, he's been uh, much better this year than he was last year. It's too bad I don't, I don't travel covering the Oilers. I would request that the interviews are done even closer to the skate sharpener. It adds a nice ambiance to it, doesn't it? Feels like you're in the rink. A little bit of a sound effect. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Nothing wrong with that. Hey, quality it's production. a hockey interview in a, in a, in a hallway. People pay millions of dollars for sound effects. We're getting it free. <laughs> that's, that's right. We can, we can just provide it free of charge. Okay, so Oilers tomorrow. That broadcast will start at 9.30. Eskimos, 
The broadcast will start at 6 with the game at 8. Morley Scott, play-by-play voice, Eskimos at Lions. Morley's going to check in now. I think he might even be walking the field at BC Place after the Eskimos rolled in and did some interviews. Morley, welcome back to the show. How are you doing? I'm good, Reed. How are you? Doing great, buddy. Thanks for checking in from Vancouver. Eskimos play there tomorrow night. i got to say, looking at the depth chart today, as the Eskimos put it out, the running back is not C.J. Gable, who was very good in his first couple games with the green and gold. What's going on there? Uh, big surprise for everybody when it came out. Indeed, Reed, uh, uh, Gable did not practice with the team yesterday. Uh, apparently on uh, Wednesday, right at the end of practice, a little tweak, and that's all we get. <laughs> they had a little tweak. Uh, the Eskimos don't believe it's a serious injury. Uh, in fact, they think that you know if you're in a playoff game or a must-win, he probably would have been able to play in the game today, but they don't want to take any chances because they've had so many injury issues all season long. So they just decided that, you know what, let's just sit him down for a week, let him get... Uh, fully rested and be 100 percent and uh everyone i've talked to believes he'll be back in the lineup next week when the eskimos host the calgary stampeders on saturday night next week all right so uh, so who's coming in because I, I know when they they made the trade for gable they said trayvon van got a little bit banged up so who's the next guy up at running back that's Ladarius Perkins, who uh, played a few games earlier in the year, had a 100-yard game earlier in the year, and uh, he'll be the guy who starts. He's been around the team all season long, so knows the playbook well. They know him well. So I was talking to Mike Riley earlier today, and uh, he's pretty confident with him going into the game in his protection skills and his, his ability to, to run the football and swing out of the backfield. He's obviously not at C.J. Gable's level, but for this situation, they're pretty confident they'll be able to get the job done with Ladarius Perkins. All right. Well, that's going to be a big change there on on the offense. And per, you're right. Perkins had a couple of good games, but uh, he hasn't been as strong between the tackles as uh, as Gable was. So I think we'll watch that as as, as we move into the game against BC tomorrow night. In, in the Eskimos, d- despite Gable having to sit out, they have slowly overall been getting healthier. Who were some of the key additions here uh, coming off the injured list? Well, the big addition that's going to really affect things is Arjun Colhoun coming back. He's going to come back and play uh, at the cornerback spot. And what that does it, uh, with him being Canadian, it allows uh, a little bit of flexible uh, flex- flexibility with the rotation on uh, uh, with the ratio because now Corey Jones, who played not all of the game last week, he was in and out of the lineup because he only played last week when Kwaku uh, uh, Botang came in on the defensive line so they would have enough Canadians on their defense. So now with Cole Hoon back in the lineup. Corey Jones can play 100% full-time at the middle linebacker. They can also get Hoffman Ellison into the game a little bit more. So the linebacking core gets a little bit stronger because they add a Canadian to the uh, the defensive backfield. That's the biggest change on defense, along with Odell Willis being back in the lineup, listed as the starter at defensive end for the game. On offense, uh, DeAnthony Batiste gets back in at the right tackle because uh, of an injury to Joel Figueroa. What they're doing is moving Colin Kelly from right tackle to left tackle, and Batiste comes in on the right side, but the big return on offense is Vidal Hazelton, who, uh, when he was injured seven weeks ago, was leading the team in receiving, and he'll come back into the lineup uh, offensively, and uh, to make room for him, they're taking Duke Williams out of the lineup. He's on the one-game injured list, so uh, Williams is the guy who comes out to make room for Hazelton, so that's uh, that's the biggest changes, of course, along with the change at running back with Darius Perkins coming in as well. Now, that's, that's interesting to me. Why do you think it was Williams who who came out because he's showed some big play potential 
And from from what now you're around the team a lot more than I am, but from what I am seeing, you know, Darius Bowman, and and obviously he's been a great player, but he doesn't seem to be getting quite the separation from defensive backs that that he did earlier in his career. How come you think it was Williams coming out and, and maybe not Bowman? I think the simple reason is they both play at the outside position uh, as a, as a wideout. Uh, Hazelton's going to come in, and that's where that's where Williams lines up a lot. They're going to put Hazelton out at that spot at the wideout position. Bowman plays on the inside a little bit. I think they're they're also showing respect to Adarius Bowman, allowing him a little extra time maybe to get his game to where it needs to be. But he, you're right, he's got to start catching some footballs. He's got to start uh, making some plays, or else I'm sure that thought process will start at some point with the coaching staff. Uh, uh, to put him in there because so they've got two really good receivers now not in the lineup in uh, in both uh, Duke Williams and uh, and Bryant Mitchell who's been on the roster but been a healthy scratch for the last couple of games so uh, the, the reason right now is a pretty simple one it's just positional uh, if they if they don't get what they want I don't believe from Bowman coming uh, coming up in the next couple of games I think they'll make some more changes. Okay, Morley Scott, Eskimos play-by-play voice, joining us here on 6.30, Ched. Broadcast tomorrow starts at 6 with the countdown to kickoff. Game between the Eskimos and the Lions will commence at 8 p.m. The Eskimos have already beaten the Lions twice. You know, BC started the season well. They've had a tough run over the last couple of months. I I talked to Wally Buono a couple of days ago, and he said... You know, we don't are, don't have the confidence to make the big plays. Uh, we aren't coming through late in games. And, you know, we just kind of said there's uh, there's some doubt, I think, that has crept into their game. The Eskimos, though, do you sense, you know, they always said they were a confident team and they had that belief. But after coming up with a couple of wins, coming behind in Montreal against, granted, not a good Alouettes team, but they still came from behind, and then toughen that one out against Toronto with a couple of third-down conversions on the winning drive. Do you sense anything different, or or is it still kind of uh, business as usual like it was before, even when they were in that losing streak? Yeah, I think it's always going to be business as usual because that's the way good football teams react, win, lose, or however you play. It's the big picture. It's the process. It's just keep doing what we've been doing because we believe we're good enough to be successful. But on the other hand, look at it. And that game last week, uh, Reed, it looked an awful lot like the team that went 7-0, and the way they won that football game, kept it close all game long, and then got the touchdown when they needed it in the fourth quarter, late in the fourth quarter again as well. So I think, uh, I think it's kind of a little case of both as you're asking me because you know it is business as usual but uh, they did uh, they did get i think a lot of confidence from that game last week because of the way they played because of the way they won it uh they've been adding guys to the lineup week after week after week uh from the injured list they've got a couple of key guys back from the nfl i just think things are starting to fall into place a little bit and and everybody believes that that they've turned the corner now from that six game losing streak and that's all behind them who's dangerous for bc morley uh, well, Jonathan Jennings uh, has a couple of guys that he'll throw the football to a lot. Of course, uh, Brian Burnham and, I, and uh, Manny Arsenault, both great receivers. Both will probably tomorrow night go over the 1,000-yard mark. They're both 900 and change. So I would expect them both to be, if not uh, tomorrow night, their next game, go over 1,000 yards. So they're very dangerous. Burnham, he's a guy uh, who just makes 
catch after catch after catch. He's a lot like Zilstra. If the ball's close to him, he's going to make the reception, and he does it circus style a lot of times. He's had some great catches this year. So those two guys offensively for sure are, are, are big trouble for any team they play. Uh, and Jeremiah Johnson out of the backfield has had a great season uh, for the Lions, and uh, he's a guy, you know, the Eskimos have had issues with the run game. He's a guy that can chew them up if they don't plug up that middle and uh, and bring them down quickly. So I think those mostly it's going to be those two receivers because, uh, you know, it's a passing league, obviously, first. Uh, the one thing about that, Jennings has given up the league-leading 15 interceptions, so the Eskimos' defensive backs could have a chance a little bit tomorrow night. Morley, thanks for checking in. Look forward to the call, man. Talk to you later, Reed. Morley Scott in Vancouver. He'll bring you the Eskimos and the Lions tomorrow night. Got a good text here from one of my buddies, Jeremy from Glendon. As usual, sitting underneath the giant pierogi, listening to the show on his phone, sending in the occasional text. He says, Reed Nuge is maybe what Nico Heesher could become, uh, number one center on a weak team or a good second center on a great team. He has skill and thinks the game really well and be, uh, has become an extremely well-rounded player. Maybe a weaker number one overall pick, but still good enough to be a difference maker, but not quite a superstar. Jeremy also says, does the play of Gable put John White's future with the Eskimos in jeopardy? Jeremy, that is a great question. And I hate to do this to you, but I don't have an answer because neither guy is under contract for next season. So who would you pick, Gable or White? If you had to, White's a little younger, but he's had uh, two of the last three years, counting this year, have been wiped out with injury. That's going to be a big question running back for Brock Sunderland. 7 o'clock news. Speaking of injuries, a guy who suffered one of the worst I've ever seen. How he dealt with it when we get back.